Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This is probably the best known of all of our Lord's parables, recognized even in secular society as a masterpiece. And so it should be easy to preach on, right? But like other parables that Jesus told, he seems to have left this one unfinished in order to draw us in, in order to open our minds and help us to think, to open our hearts to receive the gospel. Let me tell you about a personal experience with it. There was a Sunday morning when I was waiting in the sacristy with two young acolytes, an elder and the associate pastor, We'd already had our prayer. The tapers were lit. The organist was going full blast with the prelude. We were ready to begin the service. And just then a man appeared in the sacristy door. I didn't recognize him. He was a stranger. He wasn't a member of the church. So I just assumed that he had come to talk to me about communing that morning. But he very quickly went into his story His mother was in a hospital some miles away. He had no means of transportation. He had walked to the church some distance, and now he was hungry, and he had no money. Could I help him out? And his eyes began to tear up. And suddenly I, I felt as though every eye in the sacristy was fixed on me to see what I was going to do. Now the prelude ended, and the pressure was on to do something, so I hiked up my alb, reached for my wallet, and all I had was a $50 bill. So I tried the cheap way out. I tried to convince him to meet me after the service, and then we'd figure out some way of helping him. But he was desperate to go. So I grudgingly gave him the 50 The acolytes turned quickly and went out into the chancel, followed by the associate pastor. The elder escorted the man out of the sacristy, and I went into the church grumbling to myself, sure that I had just gotten ripped off, convinced that that money wasn't going to go to transportation to visit his mom or for groceries. And so as I walked in the church that day, I was in absolutely no mood to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan. During the service, I kept trying to justify myself until the reading of the gospel, and I heard once again the lawyer's question, who's my neighbor? I'm sure that I preached all kinds of pious platitudes that morning, did all kinds of moralizing, but I couldn't get the question out of my mind, Who's my neighbor? That guy? Yes, that guy. And I wish that I could tell you that there was a happy ending to the story, that the man was so moved by my generosity that he came back and in time was baptized and became a member of the church. I wish that I could tell you that he paid back the $50. But I never saw him again. 
And I don't know the rest of the story, but the question in the parable remains, who is my neighbor? This morning, let's try to imagine the rest of the story. Maybe Jesus was hinting at this as as he told the parable. It might have happened a few days after all of this, back at the inn. By now, the man, while still bruised and, and beaten up, was on the mend. His neighbors and friends, his family from Jerusalem, had heard about what had happened, and they had come down to check on him and to celebrate his rescue. And so at dinner table, he told them his story, making sure that he didn't leave out any of the gory details just how dangerous that road to Jericho had become and how these robbers had been waiting for him in, in the shadows. He quick, they quickly surrounded him and he, he reached into his wallet and he gave them everything he had. But that wasn't enough. He pleaded with them for his life and then being a guy, he had to tell them all how he had fought like a tiger to protect himself. But they had ganged up and gotten the best of him, beat him mercilessly and left him in the ditch. He must have passed out and was coming in and out of consciousness as he laid there for hours, sure that he was going to die. But he remembered clearly a priest coming down the road and then a Levite, and each of them must have heard his cries for help. But they pretended that they didn't notice him and passed by on the other side. Had it not been for the Samaritan, right, a, a Samaritan who had come to his rescue in just the nick of time, he was sure that he wouldn't be there to tell the story. And just then, some other travelers arrive at the inn, a priest and a Levite on their way going back up to Jerusalem. They went into the banquet room to see what was going on, and they caught the end of the man's story. And there was an awkward moment of recognition. Their eyes met the man's eyes at the head of the table. They were the guys. And it must have been an embarrassing moment filled with shame and regret Whatever reasons they might have offered, whatever excuses they could have had, now seem meaningless. They had failed to keep God's law. They had failed to love their neighbor as themselves. What a sad moment it must have been. Then a gang of thugs came into the inn, loud and raucous and still looking for a fight with plenty of money to throw around, and one of them was wearing a big gold ring, and everyone in the room recognized that it belonged to their friend and brother. And once again, there is a very unpleasant moment of recognition. They were the guys. And who knows what might have happened next, but it probably wasn't a very good picture for anyone. But the parable didn't go there. Instead, maybe Jesus was hinting at an even better ending, the best ending of all, 
the door of the inn opens and uh, a Samaritan goes right to the front desk. He says to the innkeeper, you remember me? I was here just a few days ago. I brought in a guy I found out in the road. He was in pretty tough shape. I did everything I could for him. How's the guy doing? And what do I owe you for his care? The innkeeper doesn't respond, but he motions the man into the, the banquet hall. And once again, there's a moment of recognition as their eyes met. And the blackened eyes of the man at the table fills with tears. And he hobbles over toward the Samaritan. And he says, everybody, this is the guy. This is the guy who rescued me. Come, let's celebrate. It's a moment of total joy. Is that the ending that Jesus was hinting at when he asked the young lawyer which of these proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus then transformed the word neighbor from a noun into a verb, and he said, you go and do likewise. We'd like to recognize ourselves in this parable and the role of the good shepherd or the good Samaritan we know that we would ungrudgingly, compassionately love our neighbors so much, we'd show him mercy, we'd help and befriend him in every bodily need, even 50 bucks worth. But what an awkward moment of recognition it would be when in truth we would see ourselves much more like the priest and the Levite without excuses guilty and ashamed every time we pass by a young woman sitting on a street corner with a baby in one arm and a sign in the other needing just a little bit of financial help. Every time we fail to notice the new family moving in on campus needing help unloading. Or the immigrants who live near us who really aren't prepared for life in America. Or the neighbors next door who don't know Jesus. Every time we fail to help our neighbors who are all around us every day and who are hurting. Or still worse, when we recognize ourselves more like the merciless thugs, bullies, who beat on our neighbors with our words and our actions, who inflict so much pain on the people around us. Or the parable leaves us feeling ripped off every time we open our wallet to give when we don't know what the rest of the story is going to be. Or still worse yet, when the parable leaves us feeling self-righteous like we've justified ourselves by the little things that we do. We just can't recognize ourselves in this story as the Good Samaritan. But here we recognize Jesus. He is the one who's shown us mercy. He found us beaten and bloodied and dead in our sins, and he rescued us. 
He's the one who binds up all of our wounds. He's the one who promised that he would pay our debt and redeemed us at the cross where he was left bloodied and beaten and left for dead. But our Savior came back, a risen Savior, just as he promised he would. He's the one who proved to be our neighbor. He's the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Is that what Jesus is really hinting at in this parable? Then what joy is ours when our eyes meet him in that wonderful moment of recognition, when our eyes meet his in faith. We see him in word. And in the sacraments, his means of grace and mercy for us, when we recognize that he's the guy, the one who saved us, This is joy, pure and total joy, and only the gospel can make that happen. What joy is ours when we recognize that we don't have to make excuses. We don't have to justify ourselves. It's the joy when we know the answer to the attorney's initial question. Teacher, What must I do to be saved? Our good Savior has done it all for us. And it's our joy, pure joy, when his love flows through us toward our neighbor in acts of mercy and charity and practical ways that matter. It's the joy of introducing our neighbors to the one who saved us. It's the joy that will be ours when he welcomes us into the banquet hall he's preparing for us. The question that matters today is not who is my neighbor, but who proved to be my neighbor. And there we recognize it's Jesus. He's the guy who's done it all for us. And he turns to us and says, Go. Go joyfully and do likewise. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.